Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's go talk Dan Ives. He knows all this stuff because he's a tech analyst. Uh, he does that stuff for Wedbush Securities. Uh, he joins us via Zoom, sporting his Penn State uh, regalia there, which we appreciate as always. Hey, Dan, thanks so much for joining us. I got to start with Tesla. I mean, Elon changes prices on his cars like most people change socks. I thought this was a little but bit more to the downside, a little bit more scientific. Because so I want to go to the issue, yeah. which I asked Matt, and I'd love to get your, your thoughts, Dan. How do you model out like real demand for uh, electric vehicles? Look, I mean, if you look at the price cuts, no doubt this one, I think, surprised the street. I mean, it surprised us a bit, right, in terms of we believe about 95% of the price cuts in the rearview mirror. Now, from an elasticity perspective, growth is sort of steady state, what I really view in that sort of 30 to 40% band. So in terms of year-over-year growth. But when you look at some of these cuts, look, it's from an inventory perspective in the U.S., they need to right now focus on volumes over just holding the line on prices. And that's really what we're seeing in terms of this yin-yang play out. So they're basically uh, trying to take or hold as much market share as they can. I imagine uh, as these UAW strikes kind of freak customers out. Yesterday I was talking to a dealer who said, uh, and he owns Ford, uh, GM, as well as Stellantis stores. And he said, even if they had inventory of, say, you're looking for a Ford Ranger and they have one, customers are already worried about the strike affecting parts, about mm. the strike affecting build quality. Um, and they're already looking, you know, let's go look at a Nissan Frontier or a Toyota Tacoma instead. So do you, do you see the strike already having effects on Tesla competitors? Definitely. I mean, we've seen it even as of the last, even two weeks ago. I mean, because the worry here, and look, that's why we say it's such a debacle in Detroit in terms of this UAW strike, because what it's doing for consumers, looking at alternatives. And what I believe, if this lasts another two, three weeks, this starts to have a pretty massive ripple effect, even 2024 from the EV lineup. And who benefits there? It's Tesla, it's Rivian. It's foreign automakers. And I think that's the frustration right now for Barr and Farley. Yep, interesting. I mean, I just bought the uh, BMW X3 Met and I just went to look and see what the uh, the EV offerings there, huge premiums they wanted over. The, and I'm like, I'm not paying a premium just to say. True, massive premiums to make a purchase. Now, and on, the other, to- on the other side of that, you do get a $7,500 yeah. uh, tax 
credit. Credit, and and then you'll get another one for probably two grand from New Jersey. So okay. all in about ten grand back. Yeah, that's just, um, the math doesn't work right now. All right, hey, so let's step back, Dan. You cover you know a big swath of the tech space here. We got interest rates, my friend, continuing to go higher. That's got to be tough on the valuation call. How do you put some of your your tech uh, bullishness in the context of these rising these rising rates rates we haven't seen since two thousand seven? Yeah, I mean, look, no doubt. It's caused white knuckles, and we've seen it with tech stocks under pressure. I mean, Paul, Matt, I just kind of view it, all, all of our checks, fundamentally speaking, I think we go into a 3Q earnings season that's going to be pretty significant surprise to the upside across cloud, software, digital advertising, I think on the chip side as well. So you, you'll see this maybe a bit overshadowed in the near term, but I believe we go into the next three to six months, and this is more of a golden opportunity to buy tech rather than time to fear it on sort of macro worries. I mean, that that, that continues to be how we're hand-holding clients through this. <laughs> I will say that tech, so uh, I've just charted out the NASDAQ, yep. um, and if you put that up against the the U.S. 10-year, you'll see yep. that as rates rise, even though the NASDAQ wants to rally still, it's pulling down those tech stocks. So, um, you know, if rates continue to climb, that's no bueno for, for stocks. And um, if inflation comes down, you know, when it was on its way up, Dan, that was fattening margins. When inflation comes down, do margins get under pressure? Well, look, I mean, theory from a high level, you could say that. But if you, what's actually happening is, you know, supply chains normalizing. You look at AI and you know, we've talked about it's the biggest transformation from a tech perspective in the last 30 years. It's a huge tailwind. And you're actually now starting to see just more and more efficiencies throughout these software companies and supply chains. So I actually think this is a tell. And look, in a lot of these companies, they have more cash than some countries, right? In terms of they don't need to rely on the debt markets. I think M&A is going to continue to accelerate. And I just view this as sort of the time where I think tech gets stronger, despite maybe macro clouding it as many of the bears, right? I mean, they've, they've called 10 of the last two downturns the last 20 years. <laughs> Hey Dan, let's let's switch gears to a, another name. I, I know you're uh, you do a lot of work on Apple. Um, what can you tell us about uh, this early rollout of the uh, Apple iPhone 15? How's it going? Is it meeting expectations? What what, what are your thoughts? I mean, I can tell you, even as of checks this week in Asia, uh, right now I had a plan. Uh, it's about 10, to, uh, 10 11, 12 percent above iPhone 14. China has actually been strong if you look at sell-throughs there. And despite, we'll call it the too-hot-to-handle situation in terms of iPhone 15, <laughs> the software rollout, which will, which will fix that. Look, it comes down to just the – if you look at the promotions and carriers, it's a no-brainer. I mean, a lot of customers right now, they're essentially trading in again iPhone 15s for free. What are you telling? Uh, what are you telling clients here that's kind of the, the best trade here in tech from, from, from your list? I think the best trade is probably Microsoft into earnings. You know, that, that I think software, if I look at Microsoft, Google, and Amazon, those three, because of what's happened on cloud and these hyperscale build outs, I think that continues to really be the, the trade here. And even though, look, I mean, the, the, the New York City cab driver is bearish on tech into <laughs> earnings. So I think that sets up 
for what I view as just a very strong rally into year end, you know, despite obviously a macro 10-year jitters. All right, Dan. Well, actually, real quick, I'm just looking at the background of his little Zoom setup there. I see a lot in New York sports <clears throat> paraphernalia, the Giants. So I got to ask a question. Um, do the Giants have a quarterback? Look, I mean, that's they, they have a running back, right? And, and I think the Achilles heel, it's just I just don't know if Jones is that quarterback that's going to get us there. And also, you have an offensive line that uh, is like Swiss cheese. <laughs> but we've got a quarterback. we got to get him back on the field. That is, of course, Aaron Rodgers. Saquon, Saquon Barkley. Oh, excuse him, Dan. Excuse me, Dan. So that's the Jets. That's, yeah, that's the, the Jets. Jets. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Well, nobody in New York has a quarterback then, right? Uh, you're exactly. Well, we don't know about it the Giants. It doesn't matter. Let's Taylor let Dan Swift go. He's got a there. job to do. Dan Ives, uh, Wedbush Security, senior analyst. He covers all the tech. We appreciate getting a few minutes of his time. Big Penn State fan. You're listening to The Team. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app, or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we had a big revision to last month's uh, uh, jobs number. Yeah. And you put the revised and an number. And bigger beat. And then a huge beat today. So that's five, I'm doing the math, 563,000 jobs added to the U.S. payroll over the last couple of months. Who are these people and who's hiring all them? So let's talk to somebody who does this stuff uh, for real. Julia Pollack, uh, chief economist at Zip Recruiter. Boy, they're going to know what's happening. Julia, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, let, number one, who's hiring all these people? Well, this report shows job growth pretty much across the board. Uh, leisure and hospitality, healthcare remains very strong, but professional and business services are strong. Uh, there's almost no area where there's weakness, except the information sector. That sector has lost 2.5% of its employees over the past year. It's the glaring exception. Wait, what's the information? Are we in the information sector? <laughs> We are all in the information sector, yes. Um, it's uh, uh, tech broadcasters, et cetera. Oh, boy, John Tucker. That's we're looking at John Tucker. What are you looking at me for? I'm here. So, so Julia, uh, you know, 150, uh, I guess 170,000 was the, uh, or 160, 170,000 was 170,000 was the estimate. Why were the economists so wrong? What, what are the economists getting wrong? Uh, well, you know, there's something called the surprise index, and it has been showing that we've been wrong for over a year. Uh, the economy keeps surprising to the upside. And that's because our traditional understanding of gravity, of, you know, forces uh, in the economy is that when the Fed raises interest rates, that's going to slow economic activity down. And I mean, I don't, you know, one doesn't need to explain it. Any ordinary American can understand this. Uh, when rates go up, you think twice about borrowing to open a business or build a home or whatever it is. Um, the issue here is that, well, activity has cooled in some areas, but there have been offsetting sources of strength that have uh, caused the overall picture to remain very, very rosy. So does this mean um, that the Fed has to raise rates again, Julia. I mean, you know, you're an economist. That seems to be their goal, uh, raise rates, slow down businesses, slow down hiring, slow down spending. Is, is that is that going to happen? So for the last three months, those PCE inflation reports have been very encouraging. And uh, they put core PCE inflation at just above 2% uh, over the past three months. And so uh, if we are really within kind of 
uh, you know, stone's throw of the Fed's inflation target, uh, looking at the numbers that it cares about most, perhaps they won't need to raise rates again. You know, it's not uh, their goal here isn't to reduce employment. It isn't to raise unemployment. It's to cool inflation. And if that can happen without pain in the labor market, so much the better. So, Julia, what are the employers that you guys talk to at ZipRecruiter? Uh, what are they telling you about their ability to hire people? Are they finding the people they want? Uh, do they have to pay up to get them? What are the key drivers for the employers? So we are about to release an employer survey, our new annual employer survey, oh, and it paints running. a very, very clear picture that employers are still struggling. It is not easy out there to recruit and retain talent. Uh, their biggest difficulty is not you know, not being able to find qualified candidates, uh, but over 40% say they can't find candidates at all. Um, and then once they do find candidates, they're having a really tough time making connections with those candidates. You know, 37% of the time, uh, candidates are ghosting their interviewers. Wow. So what, what are the kids today, or just the people that are looking for jobs today, how important is that whole hybrid model where I'm going to work? They want to work from home. How important is that today? Well, the five-day in-office work week is effectively dead. Only sixty. Wow. Nobody told us. <laughs> <laughs> well, in our in our survey, uh, employers say that only sixteen percent of their uh, office jobs are being done in office all the time, five days a week. Okay. Uh, so most employers are providing some form of flexibility, at least one to three days, uh, when workers can work from home. Hybrid is the new normal. Everyone has told us, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Every day someone tells us that. So don't worry. Paul's just pushing back against it. Um, I look at, well, on the terminal, we have ECAN Go, which is a pretty cool function. And you can choose non-farm payrolls from the mm -hmm. drop-down menu. Highly recommend it. And look at the breakdown. So it's, as you said, Julia, um, leisure and hospitality a huge driver of this last report. And then also government um, is a big driver in terms of adding jobs. Where do you see this uh, going? Construction kind of shrank a little bit. Where do you see this going as we head into the holiday season? Well, you know, that, that's a good news story, not a bad news story. I think some people are interpreting that as the economy only creating low paying jobs in leisure and hospitality. That's not true. Um, with, with today's report, Every major sector has now recovered to pre-pandemic levels, except leisure and hospitality, which, thank goodness, is at least catching up and moving in the right direction. Uh, you know, the government, local government schools uh, have been short-staffed. They started the last school year with lots of vacancies. They had to do the same thing again this year. So it's good to see them finally making some headway. Um, and the private sector still posted, you know, the, the lion's share of the jobs. So we had average hourly earnings uh, grow 4.2% year over year. I'm, you can make the argument that number should actually be higher. If there's so many, if it's so hard to find people, why don't you just pay them more? Yes. So on average, wages have grown 18% now since the pandemic. Uh, prices have also grown 18% since the pandemic. So from yep. the perspective of most workers, it's been a wash. Uh, they're just treading water. Uh, and they got used to real wage growth between 2013 and 2019, uh, when when they actually saw their wages grow about 1.4% faster than inflation each year. Uh, so they're wondering, you know, why they're not managing to, uh, you know, get a little bit more each year. Um, 
I think that wages could still do some catching up over the coming years, given how tight the slave market is. All right, Julia, thanks so much. We appreciate that. As always, Julia Pollock uh, from Zip Recruiter. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to The Tape. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Let's break down this jobs number because it deserves uh, some more attention here. Tom Gimble. Uh, he is with us. Uh, he knows a thing or two about this market. He's the CEO of LaSalle Network. And Tom, I'm just going to say, you know, here's my analysis. Wow. I would agree. And, and just before we get rolling on this, for the record, I went to University of Colorado and Coach Prime. Oh, I'm so just so we're, just so we're going to talk football. Let's just talk about who's really on the up and coming. <laughs> That's right. Um, no, this number is fantastic. I think a lot of it's propped up by the government, quite frankly, uh, which gives me a little cause for concern of when that spigot finally gets turned off. But it's it's definitely a, a good sign that, that we're not ready to, to land this economy just yet. So where's all the impetus coming from? We, we, we were talking yesterday about the Inflation Reduction Act, and of course we had the CHIPS Act. Is that money flowing? Is that money hiring people? I think it's the initial infrastructure package. I, I was talking to a uh, 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 group down in Texas, that uh, construction company, and that a couple of years ago, 70% of their business was, uh, I had followed up on a, on a story that I had read and talked to them, that 70% of their business used to be um, private and now 70% is public sector and working for the government. And so I think that the infrastructure is really burying this thing down. It's getting a little crazy. Can you explain what, I guess, labor hoarding is? Do you think it's really, A, what is it? And B, do you think it's a thing? Well, I think the concept of, of, of hiring people and not necessarily needing to use them because the talent may come in play at a later date, if that's what, what you're referring to. Yep. And, and I think that the situation with what big tech used to do in that capacity of hiring people and, and not yet needing them, I, I don't think that it was in wide abundance. Um, I think it's happened from time to time. The real challenge that we have, if you look at the, 
the jolts report and if you look at the the openings versus the number of people in the market and looking and, and that discrepancy what it really says is and, and we've talked about this before on jobs friday is is the skills gap and where we're missing it and we're missing it in two areas uh technology and blue collar labor and and we've got it's all coming at a, at a time that people are picking political fights instead of doing what's necessary for the economy and that's immigration both on legal and illegal immigration south of the border which affects the blue collar and european immigration um which really affects the technological gap that we have and we need both of those areas if we want to continue our dominance as a as a uh, a political and and capitalistic leader so wait you're not uh saying you're not railing against immigration uh complaining that our jobs get stolen but saying we need that immigration to fuel our growth a hundred percent. I mean, look at everyone wants to compare what we have going on with infrastructure to the New Deal, and and when we had the New Deal, who did that? Immigrants. And so, you know, when when you have that, and the people willing to throw a hammer and do the blue collar work, and we don't have those people. Now, do I think that immigration south of the border and 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 letting illegal? No, I'm not. I'm not proposing. I'm not a proponent of that. What I do think we need to do is is come to. Uh, a conclusive agreement on what's the best way to get people in to keep the economy fueled, which goes to payroll taxes, which goes to companies being able to accomplish things, which leads to trickle down economics, where you have more suppliers to to what's going on. We've just got this intersection that everybody thinks that the economy is going to keep going forever. We've got the, the, the UAW talking about 32 hours of work for 40 hours of pay. You know, though, though, though that's entitlement talk. That's not that's not capitalistic talk. You know, well, well I just wanted to pull up yeah. ECAN, ECAN, ECAN Go, nice. which is a function that I've been playing with on the Bloomberg terminal. Uh, it's a very cool uh, way to chart job gains. Uh, ECAN Go is the way you can um, pull it up. You can look at any number of data points with it. But I can see, Tom, that we added a lot more jobs in leisure and hospitality in the last month than we have in previous months. We added more jobs, well, government workers. We added more government workers than we did last month. Uh, we had more trade, transportation, and utilities workers than we did last month. What do you think about the trends, um, about the sectors that you've seen move, and, and um, how do you see it going forward into the holiday shopping season? Well, I think that, that the consumer spending, I think, is going to be... Um, decent and i think when i and, and i know that there's talk about where the 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 individual credit problems are and what we're looking at but what we've got is um you know what's the expression that uh he who know he, he who knows only his own generation remains always a child and i think that we're looking at people that don't want to study history and don't want to look back and we've got a a, a couple generations of people that think that if if we overspend our, our what we have, the government's going to take care of us, and I think we're going to see that through the holiday season. And and I, I haven't seen any information to tell me otherwise. I see that travel and hospitality, like you said, continues to hire. There's a shortage, and I'm in Chicago. Um, I was in De in Denver last week and Charlotte, and I saw signs in every restaurant that they're looking for people and hiring. And and you have situations where people companies still want to you know look at California. They want to raise the hourly rate for they are raising the hourly rate for restaurant workers and simultaneously complaining about inflation and what we can do about it. It's like 
the the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Well, look insane. at the fiscal stimulus that we get and the Fed trying to raise rates. So, you know, as the as the, the federal government is stimulating economic growth, the Fed is trying to slow it down. Yep. Hey, Tom. Yeah, well, I, I think that that's because the, the Fed, the Fed isn't worrying about votes. That's probably yep, true. That's right. Tom, talk to us about, you know, kind of some of the trades out there where you see a lot of reporting that employers can't find people, you know, whether it's electricians or plumbers or things like that. And, you know, a lot of folks probably are weighing whether to get a college education and all that student debt versus maybe going to a trade school. Talk to us about kind of the supply and demand of, of trade men and women out there in the economy. Oh, there's a huge there's a huge shortage of the blue collar trades. And and what ends up happening is you see it during during housing bubbles and 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 when new construction numbers are going up and and they can't find enough people to do that. And we're seeing it with infrastructure, too, but just on a local level of somebody to come in and and fix your plumbing or, or your lawn sprinklers or cut the grass and doing that is that there's a there's a shortage of labor, which comes from twofold. Number one the immigration problem that we talked about a few moments ago. And then secondarily, you've got people that are going to college for one year, two year, three years, because they think that's what they're supposed to do. Society's leading them down that path. They're incurring the debt, although I think the president just eliminated about $9 billion of it. And, and then what do they do? And what we've moved into is people working at the Verizon store to sell phones, and they're not happy and the service level isn't great, or going in and learning a trade and which is really, you know, the 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 true middle class if we're going to look back over the past 70 years. All right, Tom, thanks as always for chiming in on this uh, Jobs Friday. Tom Gimble, CEO at LaSalle Network. You're listening to the team. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app and the Bloomberg Business app or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go to somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. They get paid to know what they're talking about, as opposed to the three of us. Ellis Pfeiffer, he's a managing director in fixed income research at Raymond James. Uh, Raymond James, by the way, if people don't know it, is a very, very good regional investment bank brokerage firm. Ray J, as we like to call it in the biz. I competed against them a lot. They have a lot of good analysts, a lot of good bankers down there. And what they do, they do well. Ellis, thanks so much for, for joining us here. Explain to us why, you know, we got this print on the uh, employment and then people said, oh, you know, this gives more ammunition to the Fed to maybe hike rates. And But now the stock market's up and yields are coming back in. What do you make of today's print and maybe how it might impact the Fed? Well, I think, you know, it's not going to slow down the Fed as far as, you know, their rhetoric. And, and, and it's not going to make them change course by any stretch because the job market has obviously continued to be relatively strong. Now, the, the issue becomes, you know, when you look at the underlying data, there was some, uh, some not discrepancies, I guess, but some differences between the, the non-farm payroll data that came out this morning, some of the data earlier in the week, and then the household uh, employment uh, numbers, you know, household survey this morning that's responsible for the unemployment rate. So, you know, the, the earlier in the week, we learned that, you know, the JOLTS data told us there were a lot of professional jobs, high-paying jobs that were opening, yet today's uh, survey on the household survey tells us that, well, you know, most of the jobs came in uh, lower paying jobs, such as, you know, the services industry, and that the part-time workers actually increased, uh, whereas full-time workers actually decreased. So those things kind of combined to help the average hourly uh, earnings drop. So I think that's where the market's kind of looking at this going, well, 
you know, the, the, the survey, the household survey is really more closely uh, tied to the uh, ADP jobs number. Um, so maybe not quite as strong, uh, you know, the headline data versus the true underlying data. And I think that's why the market turned around to that. So what do you think um, is driving this, uh, this, this labor market at the same time? as interest rates have risen to, you know, levels we haven't seen since 2007, companies continue to hire like crazy. Why? Well, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of the hiring has come in, you know, the, the services industry. And, and, you know, when, when things were tough, we were hoping we'd see this big rotation into the services industry away from uh, the goods industry. And, and that, and we've been getting it uh, of late. We've had, you know, had a lot of savings still pent up from, from pandemic stimulus, uh, that that has been drawn down a lot, but a lot of that spending went moved away from the goods data, the goods type of uh, purchases into the services type purchases, and that's you know frankly why the Fed has been so focused on you know services inflation less housing because we know housing is very sticky. So they've been they've been focused there. So that's where the growth has been. It's been it's really in the services uh, industry. So what do you take from the rates picture then, Ellis? I mean. You know, uh, we had for a long time an inverted yield, a very inverted yield curve, Mm -hmm. wherever you looked. And typically, you know, that has signaled a recession. Now we have a bear steepening, which is, I I suppose, rarer than a bull steepening. And correct me if I'm wrong with these terms, but basically um, it doesn't happen as often, but that always leads into a recession. So uh, h- how does the future look to you, considering what the curve is telling us? Yeah, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. It, it's, it, it's a little bit different this time. You know, back in 2007, we saw a little bit of a bear steepening ahead of the recession. Um, but it, so it is fairly rare for that to happen as far as the recession. And, and, and a, a re-steepening a re- of the yield curve is definitely a better predictor than an inversion, or at least a more timely predictor. Um, so, but you know, I think the the re-steepening has occurred from two factors. One has been uh, that rise in oil prices, which has since since come off quite a bit, and so that that hasn't really been reflected in the bond market. I think they were kind of nervous about today. Um, and then the other is the higher for longer kind of makes you know the the bond market tend to uh, reprice you know that term premium that that tends to you know keep rates a little bit more elevated for time. So I, I think it's you can have to, obviously see more more data prints but i think that's kind of why we're, we're, we're sitting at these highs and and frankly there's a there's a, a lot of uh, speculative interest on the short side of the bond market so the sentiment from you know the, the speculative market uh is, is is quite dramatic at this point uh, and they are they're a, a very good sentiment indicator they're not a very good timing indicator uh similar instances were you know 2018 uh, and then once you know, the economy began to, to show some weakness right. and some, some other issues, you know, bond market actually started rallying. Ellis, 30 seconds left. What's the, yes, sir. what's the typical conversation you're having these days with your clients? Uh, it is, why would I invest further out of the curve when I can get more in the shorter term? And, you know, we've gone through the numbers and we've told clients, you know, if you, if you just simply, for instance, buy a two-year at, the, at the, this level and give up, X number of basis points over the two-year cycle, which we expect things to change in the market uh, and, and bonds to rally, uh, you would you would become you'd be well way better off by extending out the yield curve today, capturing some of that longer-term yield 
and then instead of trying to trying to keep up with money monitor rates, email mm-hmm. rates, things like that. All right, Ellis, uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Ellis Pfeiffer, uh, he is at Raymond James. Uh, he's a managing director in fixed income research. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to The Tape. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. One challenge is in one headwind, uh, headwinds is commercial real estate. Um, and that could be a big, big issue. It already is for a lot of investors, for a lot of uh, owners of real estate. But we wanted to dig into it a little bit uh, on the back of this labor data, talk about commercial real estate. John Fish is the CEO of Suffolk Construction, and he's chair of the Real Estate Roundtable. And uh, John, thanks so much for joining us here. And you're kind enough to, to provide some notes here. And you break it down between bad news as it relates to the state of the commercial real estate business and good news. And boy, you list a lot more bad news type of issues than good news. How concerned should we be about the commercial real estate business from a perspective that not everybody's going back to work, yet there are big loans tied to these things. There's a lot of vacant office space around. Help us frame the state of the commercial real estate business today in America. First, uh, Paul and Matt, thank you. It's a privilege to be with you this afternoon. I would say that... uh, the commercial real estate business is in, in, in a very, very tough situation at this particular point in time. And there's a multitude of reasons that you've been reporting on over the last you know, few months on it. You know, first, you get vacancy rates running anywhere from 20 to 40 percent uh, in, in the you, know, you get the hollowing out of our urban areas of our communities, whether Chicago, Boston, San Francisco. You get also $1.5 trillion of commercial loans coming due in the next couple of years, uh, which is a significant amount of money, coupled with the fact that there is no capital available right now. Uh, banks are not lending, especially the commercial banks at this particular point in time. And when they do lend, the cost of these this capital is significantly higher than it was before in the past. And I think one of the biggest issues that I think is revolves around commercial real estate today is price discovery. People don't understand what value is today. 
we don't understand what buildings are worth. And therefore, because there's no history over the last few months, a few quarters about how things have traded, uh, people cannot understand valuation. And once you get in that type of doom loop situation, it really, really doesn't speak well for the future of real estate, especially commercial estate over the next, I would say, four or five quarters. My sense is at the end of the day, things will settle down. We will end up with a high degree of price discovery, and uh, we will have a more of a, I think, consistency and predictability going forward. But at the end of the day, it's a challenging time. And I think what we need to be focusing on, how do we just take this one day at a time and realize what the Fed's actions are on a going forward basis have a very, very uh, deleterious impact on the solution to real estate's problems today. So it does look like the Fed could lean towards another hike here um, after we got such a strong jobs number this morning, as, as Paul has been saying. Does that concern you? I mean, we're looking at, you know, yields climbing across the curve, and that's just got to be even more bad news for commercial real estate um, and, and probably building in general. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the 10-year today is sort of a harbinger of where we're going. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And I think the Fed raising the interest rates in November by 25 basis points is not really material. It's psychological. It's more or less, you know, charting out the fact that we're going to continue to raise interest rates. We continue to put stress on capital across the board. We're going to continue to create, create a sense of instability in the financial markets. When you ever have instability and a lack of predictability, you've got problems at the end of the day. And I think what we need to do, we just need to take a deep breath, slow down, and give the real estate developers and the lenders out there time to solve these problems. Because if they don't, these issues will become the taxpayers' problems, not the real estate developers' problems. And today, they're the real estate developers' problems, the private equity problems, the shadow banking problems, but they're not the taxpayers. And if we move too quickly, they will become the taxpayers' problems. Now, in addition to that, just to comment on what Joe Biden spoke about, the 336,000 jobs, I think that was a very, very powerful, strong uh, estimate. I mean, you know, it, it blew past everybody's expectations of maybe 170 out there. But at the end of the day, I think it's good news, but also there's, some, I think, concerning news behind all that. OK, going forward, we've got a serious immigration problem in this country. I think everybody acknowledge it. My industry, real estate construction, we're in zero unemployment uh, right now. We're not at 3.6 or 3.7 percent. So if we don't solve for the immigration issue, OK, we don't bring more people into this country. It's going to be very difficult to grow our economy. And so to me, I stand firm on the fact that we need to focus on today how to put forth a solid immigration policy to prevent continuing escalation of wages, which we're seeing across the board right now. And I think this wage escalation issue, unfortunately, is not going to subside. And when you take a look at UAW, you take a look at the pilots, you take a look at healthcare right now, Kaiser, this is systemic in our society today. And this health and this labor issue is going to continue to drive inflation higher over the next, I think, four or five quarters. How bad is that going to be, commercial real estate loans? I think it's going to be very, very challenging. As I talked about this idea of price discovery, uh, people don't know what assets are worth at this particular point in time. I just think, as I point out, we need time to allow people to get accustomed to the current economic and financial environment and give these banks and lenders and, and, and borrowers more time to work these things out. If we don't, I think at the end of the day, it could be very, very material to our overall economy on a going forward basis. All right, John, thanks so much for a few minutes. Really appreciate getting your perspective there. John Fish, 
He's the CEO of Suffolk Construction. He's also the chair of the Real Estate Roundtable. Talking about commercial real estate, it's going to be some challenging, as John said, next four to five quarters. Price discovery is going to be a big thing. What is that building that's for sale on 46th Street and 3rd Avenue? We know what it sold for, you know, 10 years ago. What's it going to sell for today? And what's Half? it mean? Half? Who knows? 40%. And what's it mean for, for the lenders and the equity holders there? That's a big issue. You're listening to The Tape. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Jobs number came in today, uh, 336,000 new jobs. We heard from President Biden. Uh, one of the questions is, um, who's getting these jobs? What types of industries? Uh, is it evenly distributed across uh, this uh, economy? Uh, let's check in uh, with our next guest, Javier Paulo Mares. He is the president and CEO of U.S. Hispanic Business Council. Uh, and we appreciate uh, Javier spending a couple minutes with us. Talk to us about the Hispanic community out there, Javier. How are they participating in what has been a remarkably strong labor market. Yeah, it's been great. You know, um, you know, what a what a pleasant surprise. Nearly three hundred and forty thousand jobs. Uh, you know, in August we saw what I thought were kind of pre-pandemic uh, growth rates at it. You know, but but it proved uh, this month uh, proved that you know certainly uh, we're still adding jobs. And uh, there's some real bright spots, as you mentioned, not only for the American small business community, but specifically for the Hispanic uh, community and the Hispanic small business community. The growth, as you mentioned, in the private sector was led by leisure and hospitality, healthcare, professional services. I think leisure and hospitality added some 96,000 jobs. Hispanics are about 25% of that workforce. Uh, professional services. Uh, added about 30,000 jobs, Hispanics for about 20% of that workforce. And then healthcare added about 40,000 jobs and Hispanics for about 15% of that workforce. So good for the American small business community, great for the Hispanic business community. Suffice it to say, you know, Hispanics had a had a role to play. And, uh, you know, I'm delighted at the news. So uh, according to the Small Business Association, um, 5 million there are 5 million or, or near that um, Hispanic owned businesses in the U.S. And according to Stanford, Hispanics have created 80 percent of all the net new businesses in basically the last decade. Actually, it was 2011 yeah. to 2021. Yeah, so there's there's some 4.5 million Hispanic owned firms in the country that collectively contribute just north of 800 billion dollars to the American economy. They run the gamut, you know, from every industry and size and business model you can imagine. Uh, and yeah, uh, about 80% of the net new businesses that were created were created by a Latino in this country over the last decade. So, uh, you know, we're creating new businesses at a rate of three to one when compared to the general market. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're at the beginning of this thing. Uh, it, it's, it's only getting better. It's only getting stronger. Uh, according to uh, the Department of, of Labor, uh, between the years 2020 and 2030, so we're in it now, uh, according to, to labor, between 2020 and 2030, some 78% of new entrants, net new entrants into the workforce will be Hispanic. Imagine that. 78% of the net new entrants into the American workforce will be Hispanic. Well, and we were talking earlier with Tom Gimbel, um, who runs the LaSalle uh, Staffing Network yep. out of Chicago, and he was saying one of the biggest problems in, um, in the labor market 
these days is that we don't have enough immigration, that we need more immigration, um, you know, from from all of our borders. How do you stop that um, that issue from being conflated with uh, the illegal immigration that we see drugs coming in, people dying in the desert, like that whole negative story? How do you separate out, you know, the positive from the negative? You know, certainly, you know, it, it, it is a contentious issue. No, no, no question. Administration after administration, Republican, Democrat has kicked this can down the road, which is why we find ourselves in the situation we're in now. Uh, clearly, there is a crisis on the border. We need to deal with that. We need to keep the bad actors out. But to pretend that America doesn't need immigrant labor is is is, is disingenuous at best. I think our elected officials have a responsibility to parse this thing out and look at it from an economic perspective at the United States Hispanic Business Council. We're the leading advocate for America's small business, Hispanic small business community. And we have always believed that immigration reform is an economic imperative. I mean, if you look at uh, the agricultural sector alone, uh, the last time I was on Bloomberg, I think it was, I, I mentioned that that sector is 73% immigrant labor. And in that sector alone, uh, last year, we uh, we basically destroyed 10 million tons, not 10 million pounds, 10 million tons of fruits and vegetables and, and unharvested uh, uh, fields because we simply didn't have the immigrant labor to work uh, uh, the industry. So it, it is it is an important issue, important enough. Uh, for the continued well-being of the American economy, that we should deal with it honestly. So and, let me uh, ask you, uh, Javier, as the CEO of the U.S. Hispanic Business Council, what do you believe is proper immigration policy? And you've got a full 30 seconds. <laughs> you know, we need to start with worker visas right off the bat. We need to increase the worker visas, both from the, uh, you know, the, the high-tech sector all the way down to skilled labor. The uh, Dignity Act is a very good start. Uh, we should look at that as a starter. And we need to, frankly, come together, both part, both both parties, both sides of the aisle, to find a workable solution for the American people and the American economy. All right, Javier, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Certainly, certainly a a very contentious issue uh, as we speak uh, right now uh, in Washington and on the borders. But again, you put that in the context of a very well. And I think they're market. two separate issues, right? I mean, you have the illegal immigration story, and then you've got the legal immigration. We need to bring in more legal immigrants to do work in this country. And a lot of them obviously are Hispanic. A lot of them are gonna be German. A lot of them are gonna be French, maybe not French, but a lot of different yep. countries, you know? Yep, absolutely, a uh, big issue. Javier Palomares, he is the president and CEO of the U.S. Hispanic Business Council, uh, joining us to give us his unique uh, perspective. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.